Hi, and welcome to Best Practices Chats. In this podcast, I will have chats with middle school band directors from around South Carolina about best practices from their teaching that they are willing to share with you. My name is Mike Dahl, and I will be the host of these chats. If you have any questions about the information shared, if you need some clarification about something we discussed, or if you want to continue the discussion, simply email the director from this episode. I'm sure they will be willing to help. We hope you enjoy today's chat. Well, today on our chat, we're going to talk to uh, Christian, and he is a band director in Greenville County, and uh, he has been knocking the spots off the page. Uh, let's see, uh, you started teaching, what, about nine years ago? Yeah, about nine years ago. Uh, I think it was November of 2010 when I had my first day in the public education classroom. Awesome. Now, tell us a little bit about your uh, your background from when you started band and who your band directors were, and then maybe go middle school, high school, college, and then uh, then tell us a little bit about your, uh, your career so far as well. Okay, well, uh, I'm Christian Scott, and um, my parents recognized at a very early age that I didn't have a lot of athleticism uh, or any gifts in that area, so um, they talked to me about playing a musical instrument, and I started playing the flute uh, in fourth grade. Um, I was inspired by the Green Ranger. I don't know if any of you guys ever remember the uh, the Power Ranger series, but the Green Ranger, he had a little like sword that turned into a flute, and I thought that was cool, um, and that inspired me to play the flute, so no shame in that. Um, nice. But anyway, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and I went to... Uh, Started band at Paul Knox Middle School in sixth grade. Uh, Amy Coker was my band director. And then I went to North Augusta High School. Um, and I had a lot of influence from Terry Jenkins. And Chuck Dean was not the band director there at the time like he is now. But he was a, a heavy influence on me during my high school years as well. And um, I left the uh, metropolis of North Augusta and ventured up to Columbia and uh, started Making the fall of 2003, going for the MUED program at the University of South Carolina. So I'm a Gamecock through and through, and um, spent four years there, did a lot of the ensembles at USC. I was in the flute studio. I was kind of the, the dead weight of the flute studio, but I was in the flute studio nonetheless. And uh, I studied with uh, Constance Lane and had a lot of influence from David O'Shields and Jeremy Lane, Jim Copenhaver. Um, just a really good undergrad experience at USC. Um, but unfortunately, when I finished my student teaching experience, which was at Chapin High School and Chapin Middle School, I had a fantastic um, student teaching experience, but I just I did not feel like I was ready to, to get out into the classroom yet. And that was not the fault of, of USC or of, uh, any of the Chapin folks. Uh, David Santiago was a great mentor to me during that process, but I just, I felt like maybe I hadn't taken college quite as seriously as I should have in some regards. So I just went right back around and went for my master's at Carolina. And I spent two more years um, doing things there. I sang in the university choir, which was a neat experience because I had spent a lot of time in the, the band side of things in undergrad. And um, I got my master's in music education. And that, that was really good for me because when I left Carolina after the master's program, I felt much more comfortable and prepared to teach. Uh, and one of the main reasons behind that was just, again, the experiences I got there. I spent a lot of time working with the, uh, the New Horizons band program 
which we have on campus. And if you're not familiar with that, that's a kind of like a band program for senior adults who either never did band or they did band a long time ago and want to get back into it. So it's basically like beginning band for senior citizens and uh, got to start a lot of, uh, of elderly people on band instruments. We started a jazz band. It was a really good experience and that helped prepare me for um, for life after college and uh, didn't find a job during the summer after I graduated with my master's. Uh, so I was a little bit discouraged and I started the fall just again working with that New Horizons band and stocking produce at good old Milo down the road. But um, luckily in November of 2010, uh, Tanglewood Middle School became available and I moved to Greenville and took over there. I didn't know a lot about Tanglewood at the time. Uh, if you're not familiar with Greenville County, we're the biggest school district in all of South Carolina, but there's a lot of diversity within the county itself. You know, we've got schools that are very well off and we have schools that, you know, where families do struggle and uh, they don't have a lot of income. And Tanglewood kind of, in a lot of regards, sits on that realm of the spectrum. Um, and so when I started, I remember my first day walking into the band room and I had eight kids in the eighth grade band. Uh, I think it was like two flutes and a bass clarinet, a percussionist, a couple trumpets, and a, like a tenor saxophone. It was a really weird instrumentation and a tuba. And I'm not sure if he was really a tuba or if he just liked to hold it. But um, we grew the band program uh, from those eight kids in eighth grade and about 60, 70 kids overall. Uh, over the past eight years, we were able to grow it to around 200 kids. And um, we had a lot of success there. But, uh, you know, it, it definitely has its challenges along the way. So, um, for people listening, just so you know, a lot of the perspective that I have on things comes from teaching in a Title I school my entire career. Um, I haven't known anything else, um, but the first day of school is, is two days from now, and I'm actually starting a new job at Hillcrest Middle School, which is still in Greenville County, but it's a, it's a little bit different from the environment that I've been in. Uh, it's on the other side of town, and it seems like, you know, people here are able to afford a little bit more and uh, purchase their own instruments. Whereas the program that I'm coming from, uh, you know, everybody played on a school loan instrument and, uh, and all of that. So I guess that's enough about me for right now. Well, that's really, uh, really cool. Cause I know that, uh, you know, I've, I'm way away from you down here in Charleston, but man, I've, I've been able to, to follow you a little bit, you know, because of the limestone clinic and, and uh, just uh, getting to know you a little bit over that time. And then you came and worked with us at the, Charleston Southern Summer Music Camp this past summer, and but uh, you know if you ask anybody in the upstate, man, they they will tell you that you you just like knocking it out of the park with what you're doing there at, at uh, you know at your at the school that you, at Tanglewood, um, and you know you were you were really um, making a, a huge difference in those kids' lives, and and you were doing it without all the advantages that several of the rest of us might have in terms of just uh, you know the the school owned you having to do everything with school owned instruments and different things like that so it's uh gonna be really neat to talk to you because your perspective on how all this other stuff that we've been talking about in the last several episodes is going to be different because uh you know you've had to you've had to do it basically all on your own and not had a lot of help even from home uh with in terms of you know the instruments and things like that so it'll be really interesting to, to talk to you uh in that regard before we do that though tell me one thing that you uh, that you like to do uh, for fun that does not involve band or teaching or music or anything like that. What what is something that when you when you go home you hope that you have the opportunity at least once a week to do what? Well, it might not um, it might not involve band or music, but 
you know, being a middle school educator, I feel like that's a side of me that sometimes I can't turn it off. And so um, this past Christmas, I dropped a lot of hints to my wife. I was like, you know, Rebecca, I really would like to start playing video games again. I used to be really good at them. Um, you know, my kids at school, they play them, and I, and I wanted to be able to connect. So um, this past Christmas, my wife, who was wonderful, bought me an Xbox One. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of gotten back into the video game world a little bit. And it's nice after a stressful day of teaching to go home and be able to blow stuff up with a bazooka, you know, figuratively on, online and stuff like that. <laughs> but the thing I was not prepared about was uh, just the online gaming community now. Like, dude, I go on there and I play like, you know, these war games and stuff. And I'm sure there's like six-year-olds across the world that are sitting there with their remote controls and they're just absolutely schooling me. But <laughs> I have a good time trying to do that. And uh, it, it's definitely a cool thing to be able to talk to kids about. They think that's cool. So yeah. that's something that I really enjoy doing, even though I kind of suck at it. <laughs> So, uh, you know, obviously most of us are getting ready to start, either we started school this past week or we're getting ready to start school this week coming up, and uh, the thing that is on every single young band director's mind, old band director's mind, retired band director's mind that's ever taught middle school is, here come the beginners. You know, what, what are we going to do with these rascals that come in here and don't know a thing? Uh, and, you know, the thing I always have found uh, you know, I, I always find that the, the beginning band year is especially gratifying most of the time because you, you take them from a blank slate to whatever you can get in their little brains by the time they leave in, at, at the end of sixth grade and come back for seventh grade, hopefully. But everything they've learned basically has been something that, that you've, you've taught them. And so uh, I always enjoy this time of year, but even after 20-some years, you know, it's still, I got to go back and rethink through my processes and what did I, what did I do last year that worked well and what I did not do well. And so tell us a little bit about, uh, what you guys, what you've been doing. Like, um, you're, I'm sure at a, at the school that you were at, at Tanglewood, the recruiting aspect of it was probably a little bit more difficult. So what were some of the things you did to try to encourage this growth from 60 to 200? How did you do that? Well, you know, it's funny when it comes to like, you know, recruiting in and of itself, uh, we're kind of in a different area in Greenville County. And um, I was listening to one of the podcasts that you did the other day with Jim Kilgus, and he was talking about how they bring the elementary school kids to the school. And it, Tanglewood was no different. Um, it was usually kind of later on in the school year, but they would always bring the rising fifth graders up and, you know, the band, we would always perform a concert for them and, and try to, you know, get some interest going in that regard. But um, if I could speak, you know, just maybe on, I, I remember um, this was probably my third year at Tanglewood and, you know, we had gone from 60 kids in the band to, you know, we were around a hundred, maybe a little bit over that. And I remember I showed up one day, um, like it was the first or second day of school and I, I got my rosters and I hadn't really looked at them until you know the first day of school and I looked at my sixth grade you know and the band had had some success you know we hadn't gone to CPA or anything but we had gone to Carowinds and gotten a superior and I think for the most part kids knew that I was a, a fun teacher and, and the band was a you know becoming a cool thing at Tanglewood and I looked at my numbers and I was just I was distraught because I, I, I think I had a total of like 35 kids in the sixth grade band and I'm thinking you know what is going on well what did we do wrong? And, you know, we did the same thing that we did every year in the sense that when the rising fifth graders came to our middle school, we performed the concert, but it just kind of seemed like, um, you know, this year we missed something. And I remember that year, um, 
we hit the ground running and I hit the ground running, going to classrooms. I used my planning time before school. I was just up and down the hallway getting every kid I could to, to sign up for band. And, um, you know, I, I share that story. I, it doesn't really speak well to my recruiting efforts in my early teaching days, but for people that are maybe in a different situation or you're trying to build your program, you know, if you can, if you can communicate, to your guidance department in these first days of school. And that's really what I did. I went to him and I said, guys, 35 kids is not enough. This is disappointing. I don't know what I did wrong, but are you okay with me trying to get out there and recruit? And they said, sure. You know, we can, especially in the first week of school, we can make some schedule adjustments and things like that. And so I, I just hit the ground running and, and trying to recruit as best I could. Um, and I was able to get about 35 more kids uh to join band that year. And one of the easiest things was I was just like, Hey everybody, who's got a friend who's not in this class. And of course all the kids have friends that weren't in the class. And I was like, well, you know, write their name down. And so I kind of took their name and I looked, uh, looked up some, some records and, and grades and behavioral things. And I tried to get the best kids I could out of those that the, that their friends had recommended. So, um, you know, if you're starting the school year this year and you're kind of bummed out about your numbers, maybe that's something that you could do to increase things. Um, and then to speak to recruiting, you know, outside of all of that, uh, the more time I spent at Tanglewood, we obviously started to go, uh, this past year we went to the, um, to the local elementary school and we played a concert and things like that. But I think, uh, you know, when it comes to recruiting and success breeds success. And, and that doesn't mean like until you go to CPA and knock it out of the park with straight ones and take your with distinction plaque home. And until you do that, you won't have a successful band program. No, you know, a successful program is one in which the kids are coming in, they're getting a quality education with an adult who loves them and loves building relationships with them. And when that word gets out in the school, that that's what happens in the band room. I mean, it really does start to take care of itself. Yeah, I bet you could ask any sixth grader in your school, hey, how did we do at CPA last year? And they'd say, what, what is CPA? But, uh, <laughs> but yet they do know, though, that, yeah, man, my, my friend's in band or my brother's in band, and, and he just loves it. Sounds like a lot of fun. They play fun music. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, doesn't have a, it doesn't have a lick to do with the, the plaques and the trophies and awards. In, in terms of trying to get kids in there because they really don't care about that. They really just care to see that if you uh, care about them, if you're going to be somebody that uh, is going to do the things that you say you're going to do. And so, uh, yeah, that's really cool. What, what about, uh, you know, once you get these kids, once you've got these kids in your band, uh, what was your, what's your process for trying to help them figure out what instrument's going to be their best fit? Well, I'll share another story of another thing that I did horribly wrong in my first couple of years of, uh, of teaching and maybe that'll just be the, the title of this podcast will be things not to do by Christian Scott narrated by Mike Dahl <laughs> but um <laughs> you know I, I remember the first couple of years and I, I I guess I just didn't know but I I like to hire people to come in to do mouthpiece testing for me and I use the term hire very loosely because uh, we have great places up here you know Pecknell Music and Musical Innovations and you know they've always been really good about helping us out with mouthpiece testing, but I did not know that. And I'm sure somebody told me that in undergrad or grad school, and it just went in one ear and out the other. But I remember my first couple of years at Tanglewood, you know, I would just, I had a rolly chair and I would sit in the rolly chair and I would roll up and down the aisle testing every kid on every single instrument. And I mean, you know, I would have them blowing stuff. And I mean, and it, it, it took forever. And we're talking about, 
you know, two weeks of one guy trying to do mouthpiece testing. And it was just, it was an absolute nightmare. So, um, you know, once I realized that people will come help you do that, uh, specifically the music companies, that made my life a whole heck of a lot easier. Now, I still get spit on sometimes by the kids when they're doing stuff, but other people are there to get spit on too, so it's a lot better process. Um, you know, if you're in a place where perhaps you can't get the local music company to come help you out, you know, we've had success at Tanglewood um, communicating to local colleges, um, even even high school students. You know, if you've got some kids, especially when you stay in a program long enough to kind of know who the kids are in the high school that you beat, you can have them come back and, and kind of work with them on, hey, here's what I want you to do to mouthpiece test the instruments um, and things like that. But that, that's the kind of the process we go through and I, I think that's the same thing a lot of people do but uh it is definitely what works for us but I, I will say one thing that I like to do and I I don't know if I, I never really feel like I knock it out of the park on the first day of school or even the first couple of days of school I feel like it's it's always just me trying to figure it out again it feels like the first the first day of teaching not, not just the school year but the first day for me all over again every year but and like one of the other things that I really enjoy doing, and I feel like it's it's definitely worth the time. Um, you know, before you mouthpiece test, uh, obviously, especially in beginning band, you know, you want to show off the instruments and the, you want the kids to understand, you know, the different things that are available to them as a band member. Um, but I always spend a little bit of time each year. You know, it might just be an hour. You know, Sunday night before the first day of school kind of listening to the radio or on iTunes, figuring out what's popular because I'm starting to get old and I don't really know all of the stuff that's in these days. And I try to figure out how to play that on all of the different instruments when I'm showing or showcasing the instruments at the start of the school year. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people over the years demonstrate instruments, you know, and they'll they'll pick up the flute and they'll play this beautiful uh, scale with vibrato and everything else. But you know, your average sixth grader really doesn't care about that. But if you can learn to play a song that they like on the instruments, that's really really cool. I, I remember one year at Tanglewood, I needed a lot of trombone players, and I didn't have a lot. And it was always for some reason it was hard for me to get kids to want to play the trombone at Tanglewood. But um, I remember I played when I was showing off the instruments that year. I think uh, Thrift Shop by Macklemore was a very popular song, and I, I learned how to play it. And I played that thing on trombone, and dude, everybody and their brother wanted to play trombone. So <laughs> if you if you have some time, and amidst all the other stuff that you're doing to start the year, if you can learn how to not just show off the instrument in a classical sense, but make it fun for a sixth grader, it really pays off, especially when you want to get you know a certain type of instrument to have more people on it than others. Right, that's a, that's a great idea. Um, so once you've kind of done th gone through your mouthpiece testing and you, you've kind of helped them to sort of figure out what what fit them the best, um, you know what what were you doing? Uh, you know what what were you doing in that those few weeks before they actually had an instrument in their hand? I mean, I know you're spending some of that time doing mouthpiece testing, and of course going over handbook and all that kind of stuff, but. What are you What are you doing in addition to the mouthpiece testing and things like that? What are you doing in that time before they actually have the instrument in their hand for the first time? Well, I can remember earlier in my teaching career, you know, it, it was always a challenge at Tanglewood because when the program started growing, we didn't have the resources available to meet the growth of the program. So, um, you know, it would be, okay, we mouthpiece tested everybody and it's time to start the sixth graders on their instruments. But we don't have enough instruments yet because, you know, 
the seventh and eighth grade kids took them all and so we're still trying to find people to donate instruments and, and things like that so um you know obviously teaching music theory is something that's important and i would do it um but i did a lot more of it earlier on in my teaching career because i thought that's what you were supposed to do and i, I you know i remember i would spend the better part of nine weeks teaching theory thinking that you had to cover so much of this theory stuff before you could let them touch an instrument and Fortunately, as we started to get more resources and things made available to us at Tanglewood to meet the, the needs of the program, I really started to taper off on the amount of theory that I taught. So I just kind of put that plug in there because I, I don't know if you have a first-year teacher and you're kind of unsure of how much theory should I teach before I actually let them start the instruments. And I, and I, I believe that, you know, you need to really sit down and figure out, okay, wh what's really important here? You know, the staff, time signatures, basic rhythmic notation, cover that stuff as quick as you can, because the sooner you can get them on the instruments, uh, the better off you'll be. And if you're in a situation like I was from time to time where, you know, okay, I'm, I'm still waiting on these people to try and find some money so we can purchase some instruments or I'm waiting on people to donate instruments. They said they would, you know, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? You know, I like the, the Dan Leonard book uh, for teaching sight reading and, and rhythm and stuff like that. And, and there's nothing to stop you from teaching rhythm at a very early part of the school year. And, and I always did that. And I found the results to actually be very, very good in my opinion. And, uh, you know, if you don't have enough trumpets, but you have enough trumpet mouthpieces, well, you can teach rhythm and you can have the kids work on embouchure formation and just play in the mouthpieces for a while until you get those resources available to you. And then obviously if you're in a situation where, you know, you got everything and you're ready to rock and roll, rock and roll. But I would definitely encourage, um, if you don't have a system for teaching rhythm, I know we've talked a lot about uh, Darcy's system out in Texas and, again, the Dan Leonard book uh, here in South Carolina. Definitely important for new teachers. If you don't have a system for teaching rhythm, you need to get on that quickly. And that's because that, that's something that I probably should have known, but I didn't. And it took me a good three to four years to figure that out and to find the system that worked best for me. So get a system for teaching rhythm. Yeah, I don't think there's necessarily a, a perfect system or a system that, man, if you're not teaching this one, you're, you're not doing it right. I think it's that you have a system and that you teach it consistently and that you try to teach it as, uh, as thoroughly as possible and not, not just try and teach rhythms that are in the book because you're going to find there's a lot of holes in that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a matter of having a system and knowing how to uh, do it consistently and, and daily if you can. But the other thing I think was that uh, you know I really have discovered over time is that you know we as a group of middle school band directors uh, and, and maybe even the high school directors are not great at remembering that these kids don't know anything and we can't just expect them to figure this out. We've got to give them the ABCs before trying to put you know these letters together to make words and uh, you know we've got to make sure that we break it down in an easy format where they can understand and. And that's what that's what those rhythm systems are like, I and mean, that's what the Dan Leonard thing, that's what the the uh, Darcy's uh, teaching rhythm logically, those things are are there to help us try to to not leave holes in the things that we're teaching about rhythm. And uh, like you said, you don't have to have an instrument to teach rhythm. You, know, you stay, you can stay ahead of the kid, stay ahead of where they are actually playing, uh, and that's actually helpful because by the time they get to that rhythm and put it together with with moving their air and moving their fingers and all that other good stuff, well, then you, you find that it's a whole lot easier because you're, you're not teaching two things at the same time. You're teaching 
just all you're doing is putting the knowledge they've already learned about rhythm together with playing. So yeah, that's a really really good point. So, yeah, I definitely, I, I feel like, um, you know, especially my, my heart always goes out to the first year teachers and especially teachers that might be in a tougher situation like I was. And I'll just, I'll tell you that, you know, I wish I would have had a system in place a lot sooner than I did. And I know a lot of times, you know, like you were saying, Mike, with, you know, keeping a system or, or, you know, following through with it as much as you can. And, you know, first year teachers, younger teachers, you know, a lot of times follow through is hard. And, and even for us veteran teachers, follow through sometimes is very hard and difficult. But as long as you have a system, you know, and if you make mistakes with it or if you get off of it and you get off track and you think, oh, man, you know, I haven't been doing it as much as I should, it's okay. Just get back on board with it because, like you were saying, Mike, it, it helps meet the kids at more, the more basic level and, and kind of build that solid foundation for them. So even if you think, you know, I was going to – or I started – because I remember when I first started using the Dan Leonard book, it worked really well. In a couple classes, there was a couple classes that it didn't, and I think the first year I used it, I, I abandoned ship in one class. I was just like, "That's it, I'm done," I'm, and I'm not doing it. And the next year, when those kids came back, I, I believe it was a sixth grade class, they came back in seventh grade. I mean, it, it was abysmal the amount of rhythm, or rhythm stuff we knew, and just our, our foundation was all kind of jacked up. And we had to spend so much time working on it. So just stick with it, don't abandon it, even when you think, "Man, this isn't working." They don't get it, you know. Stick with it and, and keep hammering your point in because it will pay off. And you might not see it for quite some time, but it will pay off. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so you've got all your resources in place. You've done your mouthpiece testing. You you've gone through whatever you felt like you needed to get through, and, and you've got everybody an instrument now. And in your case, there at Tanglewood, you had to find all those instruments for them to, to play. You know, so when you have this uh, initial startup day. Uh, as, and it was funny because I was talking to Connie Grantham and she called it the make a joyful noise day. I said, man, I'm, I am so stealing that, that, uh, that line. Uh, when you have your make a joyful noise day, um, how, how, how did that look for you at Tanglewood? Did you, did you uh, do it all uh, by yourself? Did you have people that came in? Did you do it after school? Uh, do you ha I couldn't remember how you, your class beginners, are they all uh, just – everybody in the same class or do you have it broken up with women's and brass so give us a little bit of uh, info about how you did all that well uh again early on in the teaching career uh i made the mistake and i use the term mistake loosely because i i didn't know any better and sometimes you know your first year second year teachers we want to do it all but i you know, i had everybody in one class and it was just me against the world and i mean dude i <laughs> I don't know why, but I'll never forget this day where I had them all. They had their instruments, and we got all the instruments out. We had spent a couple of days just, just having them go over the procedures of coming in, getting your instrument, going to your assigned seat, putting the instrument on the floor, opening the case, and leaving it on the floor. And we had gone through that for a couple of days. And I thought, okay, it's really time to move forward here. And um, yeah, I had my lesson plan. I had the real lesson plan, which was written on a notepad on my music stand. And then I had the fake lesson plan that you hand into administration. But um, I was going to get through all of these instruments, and we are going to teach, you know, concert D. And the, by the time the bell rang, I think I had shown the flutes how to hold their head joint, and I had gotten towards how to unscrew your ligature for clarinet players, and the bell rang. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I what am I doing? I'm the worst band director in the world. Um, and I, I knew I needed help just because it took so long to get things started um and you know if you're in a position where it is you against the world you know you 
you move at the pace that you feel comfortable with, but at some point you have to realize you have to get up and go and things will happen, but you just, you do the best you can to try to eliminate as many of those things as possible. Now, once you realize that you cannot take on the world successfully and you start to get more organized, having a startup night is the way to go. And I know a lot of schools do that. A lot of directors uh, even collaborate together to have, you know, um, two or three middle schools and they'll go to one middle school on that on the startup night and everybody, you know, will come from the program and they'll put all the saxophones in one room and all the flutes in one room and they'll find somebody who is a flute professional or a flute student who can show them the basics of things and kind of get them off and running. And, and that's what we did at Tanglewood. Um, we had a hard time getting kids to come to stuff after school that wasn't related to like, you know, carowinds or concert festival especially beginners um so the first ever startup night we did was a startup day and i just i, I asked around obviously i couldn't get other band directors to come help me but um i remember i had some of the music reps from the different companies they came to help me start kids um a couple people that i play in a community band with i mean at the end of the day I know the basics and the fundamentals are very important, but if you know people, you know, I, I sit next to a guy who's a great bass clarinet player in the upstate winds. And I mean, he would be more than qualified to come show my clarinets how to form their embouchure and to make the first couple of notes and sounds on their instrument. And, um, you know, I, I would definitely encourage everybody listening to this. If you don't do a startup night, do a startup night because then by the time they've kind of gone through everything, when they come back to class the next day, all of the little stuff that takes you so long to do, like how to pick up the flute head joint and form your embouchure or just how to unscrew your ligature, all of that's been taken care of by somebody else. All you have to do is walk around and monitor and you can move on towards actual tone production, breathing, and, and, and all the things that we're supposed to be doing uh, that make our beginners as successful as they can be. So I know if you if you're just now thinking about it, it might be maybe too little too late, but, um, you know, don't be afraid to try and explore the idea of having somebody come in who could start your beginners, show them, you know, the first five notes, maybe talk to them about how to produce a sound on the mouthpiece, how to put their instrument together, proper maintenance of things. And it's just amazing how much more gets done that way if you can go that route. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of bands down here in the Mount Pleasant area that, that do that. My, my band's one of those uh, that where we do that. And it's amazing how many, literally, how many weeks of class time that one night will save you. Uh, you know, if, I, if I've got somebody that comes in and, and does all the things you mentioned with just the flutes, they can cover a lot in that hour and a half or two hours. And the clarinets and the saxophone, so you, you get five or six people to come in and work with them, pull them out and specialize on just them where you're not having to say, okay, now flutes, you guys start doing this. Now everybody else, you guys, you guys just uh, be patient. Don't throw anything into the, into the ceiling. Don't tear anything up. Hey, no, no, sit, sit down, sit down, sit, 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 sit. You know, it, it's just those five or six kids that are playing flute with a flute professional or somebody that knows how to get them started. And, uh, and you know, and the thing is, it's not saying that, you aren't good at what you're doing as a band director. It's saying you're trying to find a more efficient way to get this information across, um, and you're going to find that. And if you if you try it even just once, you're going to find that it saves you literally weeks of class time because instead of it taking you two or three weeks to get everybody to get their instrument together, and make that first sound, you got it done in one night, 
and by the end of that night, you could you could even bring everybody together and say, all right, let's all play our very first note together. And it sounds like something as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the alternative. And so, definitely. yeah, I would def and, and, definitely. Well, the other thing I was going to say, too, is, you know, when you think about, I was listening to, you know, the pod, some of the podcasts you've done earlier. And I think Jonathan Valentine was talking about the, the method book that he likes. He likes it because it starts on a concert D. And, you know, I was thinking, and that's my biggest beef with a lot of method books is I just, I hate the method book for the first couple of, you know, weeks of class because I want to start the kids, you know, and, and teaching at Tanglewood, especially when I first started, you know, seeing so many kids struggle to, to produce a characteristic sound on the instrument in the early goings, um, you know, my heart just went out to them. So I naturally want to gravitate towards, I want to start my beginning saxophones on B because B is easy because it's one finger and your thumb's sitting back there on the thumb rest and that's simple. You know, I want to start my flutes on D because more fingers are going down and you know as far as brass go I don't really care you get you know, I always call it a high buzz or a low buzz and that would just you know buzzing through the instrument and see what comes out but you know th there's so many different variables and when you try to do all of that in one class the very first time it can be really frustrating if they haven't already had some prior experience with that so again it just it allows the professional and it, it doesn't have to be you know a professional person from the standpoint of you know a symphony member it can be as long as you trust the person and you feel like they are a, a good player on their instrument you, know, you could pull people from local community band i mean i i i have gone so far as to have high school students come back and do that for me. And it, it wasn't, it was a couple extenuating circumstances where it was a really high achieving student, but you know, you don't have to, if you're thinking, Oh man, I can't do that. I can't afford professionals. They don't have to be professionals. It can be people that you bribe with pizza and, you know, maybe a free car wash or something like yeah. that on the weekend, you yeah. know? So that's, that's something you could definitely do. Yeah. And I think too, the, the other thing that's really important about it is that you have, uh, before this, this night happens, you've thought through, um, exactly what it is you feel like you want the kids to get out of this night. Then you've written down a list of those things that you can hand to each of the teachers and you know, spend you know, five, ten minutes at the very beginning before the kids are there just going over with the teachers what it is that you want covered and then even provide them with the resources. If you're, if you're going to try to get them to cover the fingerings for the first five notes of the B-flat scale, give them that five-note scale chart. Whatever you can do to make it um, you know, so that People don't kind of, sometimes people may want to bird walk and talk about things that aren't important, but if, if you want them to talk about, you know, putting it together carefully, taking it apart carefully, how do you do the basic cleaning on the instrument, you know, that you're going to have to do just an, on a normal day to day basis, uh, and then, you know, getting, getting that embouchure set up. So just have a list. That's what I found was best. Just have a little list of these are the things I'd like for you to try to get to. And if you if you can get to these other things, great. These are these are definites, uh, non-negotiable things I want you to get to tonight. These are things if you've got time, go for it. But uh, you know, just try to help guide them, and I think that's really good. Well, we're about out of time because I know that uh, you've got some things to do. But I, I wanted to, to just see if we could kind of wrap up with uh, with one more thing that, um, and that was you know, working at uh, a school where there weren't a lot of resources. You you've mentioned several times how you've had to uh, um, find those resources, find instruments and all that kind of good stuff, um, just to be able to provide your kids with the opportunity to play. And I know that that process is not uh, easy, um, and it's, it's time-consuming. And can you just tell us a little bit about 
you know, where have you found success finding those resources? I mean, are you, you know, getting them from people in the community? Are you able to buy some some uh, used horns from the music store? Uh, you know, what what are some of the things that you found were good to get these instruments in people's hands? Well, you know, it, first of all, I guess being in Greenville doesn't hurt um, when it comes to all that kind of stuff. But I know me saying that. It's not music to the ears of anybody who's in a rural or a very special situation. Um, so, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw in a plug and just a, a huge heartfelt thank you to uh, the Music Club of Greenville, Musical Innovations, Technel Music, um, Greenville Women Giving, which is a philanthropic group up here in uh, the upstate who supplied us with just tons of stuff. And there's a lady who works for the Music Club of Greenville. Her name is Connie Lackumen who's just she's like the the fairy godmother of used band instruments she just goes out and finds them and, and provides them um but you know having all those things at my disposal up here obviously helped me build the program quicker now i will tell you one of the biggest secrets to the music club of greenville's success and when i say success i mean they're you know probably the front runners when it comes to finding old instruments getting them fixed and putting them in the hands of kids who need them. Um, one of their biggest secrets was they just went around to a lot of the high schools in the area and they tried to maintain contact with maybe some of the families from high schools where kids had graduated and not continued in music. And they got those instruments and tried to fix them. Uh, and they did fix them and they got them to us. So I, I don't know, you know, with certain people being in certain situations, if you're able to look at high schools that are nearby maybe there are some old instruments there and i mean even old instruments as long as they can halfway play properly that's better than no instrument um uh, one of the other things that i had was uh we applied for the mr holland's opus music grant um one year and we were fortunate enough to, to receive that as well but you know above all of that obviously it takes a lot of faith and a lot of prayer and a lot of hard work along with all of those things to kind of to make it happen in a special situation like we had at Tanglewood. But I will tell you, and I, again, my heart just kind of goes out. I, I always assume there's some younger version of me out there listening to this thinking, well, that's great. Uh, all the stuff you're saying is awesome, but that doesn't work for me right now. And I will tell you that I think what really started the success that we had, you know, I mean, it, 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 the, the last the last big thing we got at Tanglewood, and this is not me trying to brag, I just want to try and put it in perspective. You know, the, we got a grant for, uh, it was close to $170,000 to buy and outfit new instruments for our program. And uh, when I first got to Tanglewood, we had some instruments that were from a grant that was an old grant from years and years and years ago. But, you know, I feel like we did all of that kind of stuff because I had good kids who were hardworking kids who were willing to go the extra mile to make band the special thing that it was and still is at Tanglewood Middle School. So to that first year director who's out there and struggling and thinking, you know, I, I don't know of any instruments at the high school. I don't have a music club of Greenville that can go out and get stuff for me. What do I do? I would, I would echo what you said earlier, Mike, which is, first of all, you can't do everything yourself. You need to reach out to those directors around you, myself included, and, and Mike included too, to speak on your behalf, Mike. You need to reach out to those people who can be a support network for you in these early years of your teaching career. And once you do that, and you have a support network who can lift you up, just like I had up here in Greenville, and through you, Mike, with the Limestone Clinic and everything else, 
once you're lifted up and you feel like, you know, I'm not alone, I can do this, there are other directors who have been through this and they've been successful, you'll be able to go into work every day and put your nose to the grindstone and work hard at building your program. And when you start to build your program and success breeds success, and we talked about earlier how that doesn't have to be CPA uh, plaques and trophies, but when you start having a successful program, things will notice, or people will notice, things will start to fall into place. And before you know it, the, some of the things that you need will start to be met. I mean, if I went back and I found myself nine years ago and I said, all right, Christian, nine years from now, you're going to have a $170,000 grant that you used to outfit this program that only has 60 kids in it that has now grown to 200 people. I, I, I don't know what I would do. I would probably wake up because I would think I was dreaming. Um, but a lot of our success came, and I, and I, I say our success. It wasn't my success. It was our success because – I had good people and a support network in place who were able to lift me up. And once that starts happening, you'll be surprised what, what the big man upstairs and the people around you as well can do to help make your program uh, a really, really cool thing. Well, Christian, man, it's, uh, as always, a, a, a joy to talk to you and just to hear your heart for kids and how much you obviously love what you do and, and how much you love the kids that you get to teach. And uh, looking forward to hearing... How your uh, first week goes with this at this new uh, school, and um, just you know, wish you the best of success. And like I said, look, looking forward to talking to you again in the future about some other things on these little band director chats, man. I appreciate it, Mike. And I mean, as far as you go, and as far as anybody listening goes, you know, you can email me. Um, I'm sure Michael put it up, but it's it's C G is in giraffe. C G Scott at greenville.k12.sc.us. But um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Mike Dahl probably has forgotten more good ideas than I could talk about on four or five of these podcasts. So be sure to reach out to him as well because you're a great advocator and just uh, I was going to call you a grandfather, but I don't think that would work. I was going to say you're, you're a great advocator of music education, a middle school band in South Carolina. Um, I was going to say grandfather because you had gray hair, but I, I probably shouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah. Be careful, man. You're treading on thin ice now, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk to you later, and uh, and like I said, we'll we'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks, man. All right, man. I hope you've enjoyed today's best practices chat. I want to thank our guest for today. If you have any follow-up questions for them, I included their email in the chat description. Also, a huge shout out to South Carolina composer Josh Hinkle for our cool background music. Thanks, Josh. We hope you keep writing great stuff for middle school band. Join me again next time when we chat with another middle school band director about topics that interest you. If you have any suggestions for topics, please email me at mikeD at eastcooperbaptist.com.